So these guys sit around in this room. They're all at their computers. And another guy leans over over the top of one of the counters. He's like, tell me what's been going on in the world today. And they talk about these celebrities engaging in double lives, cheating on their wives, all kinds of junk. And it's entertaining to us. But check out what the Word of God says about the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of Jehovah are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Now that sounds like God is just a party pooper. That the Lord is not for me having fun. I talk to people all the time and I say, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Half of them, you can get them to a place that say, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's the only means by which I can be saved from my sins. And I say, well, have you surrendered your life to him? Are you living that out? And almost 90% of the time, 90% of the time, I kid you not, the people I talk to who come to that place, they say no. And I say, why not? They say, because I feel like I got to give this up and this and this and this. That God is a party pooper. There's uh, one of my students, he's not here today. He might be here uh, second service. His name is Anthony. And uh, he's going to be baptized in just a few weeks. And uh, about six months ago, I'd ask him, I said, okay, Anthony, you affirm the facts. Tell me where you're at. What's stopping you from surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? This is a fifth grader, by the way. And this, this boy gets it. He says, Mr. Jazz, I can't do it. I like watching YouTube and I like music videos. And so I hope you don't get me wrong as as we get into the story of Daniel and integrity. I'm not suggesting that you can't, 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 can't. What I'm asking you to do is consider what does it mean to live a life of integrity for me? Integrity is being a person who surrendered to moral obligations A person who lives a life of conviction without somebody seeing you all the time. I have that conversation all the time at at the center. There's a paint and bucket outside. We had the outside of our center, which is in Piscoview. Pastor Shannon had mentioned with I Have a Dream Foundation. So they're painting the outside of the the foundation. uh, And so there's little buckets of paint all the way around the building. One of my students comes up, because we're not having a program that day. He sees the bucket of paint. He looks at it. You can see it going through his mind. He doesn't even know I'm looking at him outside the window. Hmm. Goes and picks the, picks the paint up, slaps it on the wall. Miss Jen, the, uh, my co-director, she says, Elijah, what are you doing? I didn't paint that wall. I just saw you paint that wall. I didn't paint that wall. He's not going to fess up unless this, this boy is on tape. I didn't paint that wall. But integrity and having that conversation with students, having that conversation with myself, integrity is who you are when nobody is looking. It's real easy to do the right thing when things are going well, when all your buddies and youth group and you got nothing to watch but Christian television, but what are you going to do when, when the buckle gets tight? What are you going to do when your friends don't want to do what's right? What are you going to do when everything around you is telling you to do opposite of what God desires for you? And I want you to know before I get into this, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. As a young black man, 75% of black families in America are without a father. 75%, are you kidding me? 75% of my young boys don't have a father to look at because black men don't embrace the call to integrity. 
75%. My father, so many fathers I know, locked up in prison, slaves to sin because they think the conversation of integrity is a joke. But God is calling us to integrity. Young people, I got a word for you today. Because you're about to sign, you, you're about to walk into those doors. And just what you saw the picture right here with the skit, which is profound. Knocking at your door, evolution, premarital sex. Come on, I'm talking to somebody now. And I'm, I'm not suggesting these things because this is what this, this book of uh, wise tales and fables says. We believe this thing is true. I'd love to have conversations with you. You got questions? I don't have all the answers. Pastor Shannon don't have all the answers. But we, we got some convictions here. And this is not a blind faith. We believe this thing. God has had to prove himself to me in this book. I would not be up here on this stage if I didn't believe this book was true. And I'd love to walk down that road with you. But God is calling us to a life of integrity. Young people, I'm talking to you. Men, I'm talking to you. That in integrity thing is, is a battle that we fight every single day. Now, I'm surrendered to Jesus Christ, and I go to the gym every day, and I have to remind myself, what are you going to do? My wife asks me every single day, and the day she forgets, I ask her, you got to ask me, and I'm keeping it real. Did you look at pornography today? Did you masturbate today? I'm, come on, I'm bringing it. Did you lust for another woman today? And the reason is because God's plan for integrity is for the sake of the gospel. People I talk to, you a Christian? That's what's up. You surrender to Jesus Christ? That's what's up. Why aren't you sharing Christ? Because I'm not living the way I should. I'm not embracing the call of integrity. So I don't want to be the, uh, a dead dog, but I hope you're feeling me at this point, young people, men, women, Highland. God is calling us to a life of integrity for his name's sake. And so when we look at the life of Daniel, we all know the, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Everybody's seen that. We've seen pictures up on people's uh, homes or uh, the kids' section of, of the church. You, get, you got this man that's looking up into the sky, and he's got the, the lions down here. And you got the little beam of light coming through the rocks at the top. Or the, or the, the uh, three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. We all know the story. And we, we kind of embrace these guys like they're Bible characters. And I hate using that term because it's as if we should throw them in with the, the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny, right? I would say the Thundercats, but we know the Thundercats exist in another dimension unknown to us. But on a serious note, we embrace these guys, we embrace this book like it's a book of characters when in fact these are historical figures. And I could go down the long list of things that proves why the book of Daniel has been refuted time and time again and God has proven himself. There's a long, I don't have time to get into it. But time and time again, we see that these stories are of men and women who really lived. These were people who had passions and personalities and God revealed himself to them. And the overarching themes that I want to touch on tonight or today, this morning, y'all must tell, y'all can tell I speak at a lot of schools at nighttime, can't you? This morning, I want to touch on the fact that David was convinced that God in heaven, the living God, the God of Israel, Jehovah God, Yahweh, was the sovereign God running this thing. I just spoke with somebody this morning and they said that they felt compelled to lay down the job that they've been doing very well for a long time. And, you know, the near future looks pretty shaky, perhaps. My wife just got laid off uh, at the beginning of the summer from her job. And 
So as, as I talk about these things and Daniel being convinced that God in heaven is sovereign, it's not just that we're afraid that we're going to get thrown into a cage full of pit bulls or, or a den full of lions, but God has a word for us today. God is in control. He's running this thing. And I promise you, if you can get on board with what Daniel was convinced with, it will change your life. I promise you. The second thing, Daniel was a man of humility. He didn't get to the top. This, this guy, so the kingdom of Babylon came and besieged. It says that God gave Judah over into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And so Daniel and these, uh, basically the elite boys, the handsome, well-educated young men in that kingdom were taken off to Babylon. And it says that they were going to be put into training for three years and then then they were going to be put into the the royal service for the king. And when Daniel gets in that place, word gets out that he's pretty good at revealing riddles and dreams and, and all these different things. And God goes on to promote him and elevate him in all these positions. And isn't, in, isn't it interesting that as soon as you see God, God elevate a person, as soon as you see God bring somebody up, that person gets the trip into thinking it's all about them now. But Daniel lived a life of humility. And within that humility, God promoted him, not for Daniel's sake, but for God's name's sake and for Daniel's good. What a blessing. And lastly, Daniel was a man of integrity, not just on the outside, not just when things went well, but when the fire really got hot, when things really got tough, Daniel put his trust in the living God and God met him there. So if we can get on board with these three things today, hopefully my time won't be long. I only got like 25 minutes. If we can get on board with these three things, I promise you, your life will be changed. So let me go ahead and address the number one lie that the enemy is going to tell you as you're walking out those doors right there. You're going to get crunk in here. Mr. Happy's going to be over here. Uh, Say, amen. I might say something that might spark something true in your heart. You might read something out of the Word of God that says, yes, that resonates with my spirit. You might sing a song that makes you happy on the inside, but as soon as you walk out those doors, the enemy's going to tell you this lie, and I want to go ahead and refute that thing. He's going to say, yeah, that was good. That was real nice. Pat on the back. Good boy. You went to church today, but you still got the same problems you went in there with. You still got to worry about paying your bills next month. You still got to worry about passing that class. You still got to worry about the fact that you already gave away your virginity. And God is begging you. He's saying, let me change you. Let me change your mind. So when I open up this word, God is trying to change my mind about that thing. Because he wants to change me before he changed the circumstance. And that's what, he's gonna, that's what I, I pray he's going to do today as we look at the life of Daniel. So let me pray. We're going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you praise and thanks for another day. Lord, we thank you that we, as Mr. Happy told me this morning, I woke up. And I looked at the sky, not the roots, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you saw fit to come here and meet us in this place, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And Father, right now, I'm very nervous that the words that I have to share that you've given me this week may offend some, Father, but I pray that it wouldn't offend them as much as it would compel them to consider living a life of integrity for your name's sake. Father, would your spirit live inside the words that you allow to proceed from my mouth. And may we be more conformed to the image of the Son, more so than when we came in this place. Father, would you prove yourself to us, the doubts that we have, would you prove yourself to us? Would you change us? 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking me in when I didn't deserve it. And so, Father, as we look into your word, we pray that we will meet you. In the strong name of Jesus, it is we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the story of Daniel basically falls into two halves. Uh, the first six chapters is a 12-chapter book. The first six, cha- six chapters is basically the story of Daniel, the things that happened to him. The, six chapters, the last six chapters is basically the visions that God gave him. Uh, he's expounding on those. And so we, we're not going to so much go into the, the prophet, prophecies and the dreams that God gave Daniel, which is an incredible piece of literature for that. But I really want to consider Daniel the man, the person, not the Bible character. That Daniel was a dude just like me, just like you. He had issues, but this man took a stand for God. Last, last week was the call. We, the choir got to sing, send me and I'll go. And what God is asking us today is, are you going to stand for me, young people? Are you going to stand for me? And Daniel said, yes, I will. So starting in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to uh, read... In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, Hayes, that's you right here. Who were good looking, showing intelligence. That's you right here, Hayes. I'm talking to you. And every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability in serving the king's court. And he ordered to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration. And I'm getting something here, somewhere here. From the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years and at the end of which they would enter the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Verse 7 just tells us that they were called, uh, which you probably know their names. Daniel's name was Belshazzar in Babylonian, Belteshazzar, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now picking up at verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the, with the king's choice food or with wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not, might not defile himself. Now that's very important. That's like the next day that Miss Sherry talks about. He made up his mind in a very small way. I can remember when I was a little boy, my mama always asked me, and she's going to be here second service. She'd say, Jazz, when you get older, you graduate uh, from college, are you going to go to church on Sundays? Of course, Mama. I've been going to church all this time. No, 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 Jazz. I need to know you've made up your mind. Jazz, when you go on all those trips with the choir and all the trips with the band and all the trips with basketball and you got all these females coming around you trying to make you feel like you're something because you scored this many points or rebounds, are you going to make up your mind? You're going to remain pure. Thank God I did because I can look my wife in her eye and know that I've never been with a woman. Unlike the way I've been with her because she's my wife. Now, that's not to toot my own horn, but the question is, are you going to take a stand? Daniel made up his mind. Now, check out what God does when he did that. Now, God granted, sovereign, Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, this is verse 10, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who's appointed your food and your drink. For why should... Why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer 
whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, we hadn't even got to the lion's den and we already see God is just at work. Because, good Lord, if they would have put me on a vegetarian diet, it wouldn't happen. Take an act of God, okay? It says, but test your servants. Just let me eat vegetables. I have to honor my God. He was under the Jewish dietary laws we see in Leviticus 11. He says, I have to honor my God. I'm not going to defy myself like that. He says, just put me to the test, and I'm willing to believe God's going to meet me here. Put me to the test, and let's see what happens. So at the end of the 10 days, basically, verse 15, they were, the Bible says, fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, that's an act of God, because there ain't no way I would have been up in there eating those steamed vegetables and ice water for 10 whole days. Now, Daniel goes on to do this. Basically, we, we get the picture. Daniel's in uh, king's service, not just under Nebuchadnezzar, but the next several kings until the Jews are allowed to go back to Jerusalem. He may have been eating this diet for that entire time. We don't know. Anyway, it says in verse 17, and as for these four youths, God gave them not, God gave sovereignty. God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up to verse 2. First of all, I want to say that in the time of trouble, Daniel was still committed to God. When it was not easy, Daniel was committed to God. In the time of uncertainty, Daniel was a man of prayer. In the face of dilemma, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys trusted God in every single time God met them right there, promoted them, delivered them for his glory, and just so happened for their good. We serve a good God. But check this out, Daniel chapter 2. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a bad dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic and said, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. Check this out. This dude got problems. If you do not tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Now, Republican, Democrat, Independent, we can at least say we got this part right. Now, President Obama, I don't think he's going to say this to nobody. He said, I had a bad dream. You're going to tell me what I dreamed, and you're going to tell me what it meant, or I'm going to kill you, basically. Verse 7, they answered the second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. Then the king answered and said, I know for certain you were trying to, you're bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm. That if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying, corrupt words before me until the situation has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. And as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. And there is no one except, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Now we know the incarnation has not happened yet. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has not come. So we'll cut him some slack. But it says, so the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. 
and they looked for Daniel and his friends. Because the, the king was so upset, he said, you can't tell me what I dreamed and what it means, I'm going to kill you and all of y'all. So they go out looking for Daniel. Daniel's in his house eating steamed vegetables and, water, and, uh, and ice water. So he gets to knock at the door, and at the door, he's like, Shalom, who is it? And the dude is like, the executioner, you're one of the wise men, right? He's like, yes. He says, the king is really upset because he had a bad dream and nobody could tell him what it meant, so I'm here to kill you. Go ahead, come out nicely. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let me backtrack a little bit. What's going on? So he explains it to Daniel, and Daniel says, notice what happens. So Daniel went in, verse, uh, verse 16, and requested, time, requested of the king that he might give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter in order that they might sit around and have a pity party. Oh, I must have misread that. In order that they might call a bunch of people and ask them to send in donations to persuade the king. In order that they might, verse 18... Request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that they could go and pray. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs to bear. Often we forfeit these things all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. In the time of adversity, Daniel was a man of prayer and God met him right there. Concerning this mystery so that Daniel, verse 18, and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. It goes on to basically say that God gave him the dream. And when he did, he thanked God for that. And their lives were spared. And not only that, but over in verse 47 of chapter 2, the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is, check this out. Some of your translations might not uh, make it a literal translation. But what it actually says in the Hebrew, and I had to look it up, or the Aramaic, the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries. Now, that's, that's a pretty big step uh, from where he was at before. But he's still got some more to learn. And we're going to see uh, that God does take him. He ends up losing his mind, going crazy, being driven from civilization for some time. And he comes out of that and he says, Lord, you are the God of gods and the Lord of lords. The God of Israel is the true living God. So my point is that in time of uncertainty, Daniel was not a wimp. He was a man of prayer, committing things to God in prayer, trusting that God in his sovereignty that we've been talking about would do as he pleases for his own namesake and glory be to God for our sake that all things work together for our good. In the face of dilemma, the big three trusted God. We know the story of the fiery furnace, and I'm going to read it very quick, just to, I think sometimes we can blur over the, the details. In verse three, Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and it's with six cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, this is the dude who just now said, man, that's what's up. I told you to tell me what I dreamed. And what it meant, and you told me, your God is a God of gods. Now I'm going to put an image up on the plain of Dura, and I want you to worship it. This guy still got some, some, some ways to go. But it says, the Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble, basically all the officials, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king set up. 
then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all them dudes were assembled for the dedication image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, I'm about to address you young people and men and women. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, tell the command to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the band, you are to fall down and worship the golden image. At the moment you come across that channel, at the moment you see that young lady walking by, at the moment you step in that classroom and the God of evolution is knocking at your door, bow down and worship it. And listen to what they said. And he said, but whoever does not fall and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at the time when the people heard, the people of the band, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped, conformed. For this reason, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You yourself, O king, have made a decree that every man, this is verse 10, who hears the sound of the big band is to fall down and worship the king. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the blazing fire. There are certain Jews, Jews who you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. And so Nebuchadnezzar in verse 13 flips out. Excuse me? Who, is, who am I? What's my name? They didn't bow down? So he comes down. He calls them in and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 14, responded and said to them, Is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Isaac, Hampton, Hayes, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment, I'm going to give you another chance. And when the music plays, you're going to bow down and worship these false gods, or I'm going to kill you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Isaac, all the young people here, all the men here, all the Christians up in here, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you. Check this out, homie. We are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I'm about to close in just a second. I want to share just a small story. I was talking about uh, some of the pressures of men and sexual purity when I was in college, my freshman year, I was the only Christian on my basketball team. And what a welcoming service we, they had for me at the time, sitting around at the dinner table, and the whole conversation for about 30 minutes was, ah, Jazz a virgin, Jazz ain't never got none, Jazz, clowning me, because I said, I'm not going to bow down to your God, clowning me. And I just had to ask God, Lord, it would be nice if you sent another Christian here with me. But even if you don't, I'm still not going to bow down to these gods. Just months later, our whole junior class ended up getting into a very st stupid situation at a party, got in trouble, and those same guys that were clowning me, Jazz can't get none, Jazz a virgin. Jazz, will you pray for me? I'm in trouble, I don't know what to do. 
Jazz, you lead a life of integrity, man. And I thank God I'll hear your prayer. Will you tell me what to do? For God's name's sake, his glory, for the sake of the gospel, to lead a life of integrity. So moving on, I'm going to have to close in just a few minutes. I want to pull out the overarching theme of Daniel's life, the sovereignty of God, Daniel's humility, Daniel leading a life of integrity. And we know that all these things point to the very real and true, better Daniel, Jesus Christ. But first, we're going to look at Daniel. Daniel was convinced that God was sovereign and in control of all these things. Now, he's working for these kings, and these kings sitting up in their palace, hmm, I think we'll attack the Greeks today. Uh, we won that battle, I think. We'll. And Daniel's sitting up there writing in his own journal, God handed them over. God gave the kingdom. God granted favor. God did. God did. Daniel was convinced that God was running this thing. And it's interesting. We know that God does as God pleases. It says in Romans 9.21. Oh, you got it up there. That's what's up. Oh, does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? God does what he wants. Good for us. He's a good God. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11 and 23, for I know the plans I got for you, declares Jehovah, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with most of your heart. What's so funny? You will find me when you seek me with three quarters of your heart. All of your heart. We serve a good God who is waiting to bless us when we get our mind fixed on him and know who he is. And then second, who we are in him. Glory be to God. Second, Daniel's humility brought glory to God. It's been said that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, how do we glorify God? Well, number one, you can't glorify God if you think it's all about you. You cannot glorify God if you think it's all about you. My junior year in, in college, college was a good time for me, as you can probably know. My junior year in college, I got the opportunity to say yes to a pretty decent situation, being a, a singer for a pretty big name group called New Song. And man, it sounded good. Man, I'll, be, I'll probably be famous. I'll be performing at Bell Sharon all over the country. Dang, Lord, I got a range. I can sing high and I can sing low. That's what's up, Lord. We're going to do some ministry together. And God asked me this question. Why you want to do this? Because I want to bring glory to your name. Why you want to do this, Jazz? Oh, I guess it was about me, wasn't it? So I had to say no to that. People want to get in the newspaper for points and rebounds and soccer goals and rings on your fingers for conference championships, and that's all good. But we got to remember that unless we're on board with what God is doing, we're making an eternal difference if we're doing what Christ has called us to do and we stay low and humble. Notice what, what Daniel did when he got in front of the king. The king said, Daniel, is it true you can tell me what happened? You can tell me what my dream was? He was like, yeah, but nobody can tell you this dream. No, no, no magician, no conjurer. Nobody can tell you this dream, but there is a God. Right away, he gave glory to God. 
So somebody come up to you and tell you, man, that was a good game, boy. I saw you, hey, I saw you kicking that ball, boy. You looking good, boy. You stopped that. Glory be to God, man. He gave me the ability to do that thing. Doreen, girl, you can sing, boy. Your range about like that high, boy, like Mariah Carey up in there, boy. Glory be to God. I'm just trying to put people on the Christ. He the only, he the only thing that... What good would it do for me to be remembered? So for somebody to say, dang, Jazz, that was a good dude, and still go to hell. But if a person can look at your life and my life and his life and her life and say, they really put Christ at the center of their life. And that kind of life can change somebody. Daniel lived a life of humility. And lastly... Daniel lived a life of integrity. Now we read where Daniel was put in a situation where the king was like, yeah, we're going to give y'all the royal treatment, y'all good looking, well educated, and I want you to come and you're going to eat all the best foods. It's going to be nice. They're going to be women. They're going to be all this. And Daniel had to say, no, nah, I can't defile myself like that. And God met him there and God promoted him. So let me finish up just very quickly. The sovereignty of God, Daniel had his mind on the sovereignty of God that when all this around me is going haywire, God is in control of this thing. In a very profound way, that points straight to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was literally the embodiment of God's sovereignty. Literally. Way back in Genesis, Jesus didn't come on the scene at Bethlehem with some shepherds hanging out. Way back in Genesis, God foretold Genesis 3.15 Telling, telling the snake, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That was Jesus Christ. All the way down up through Deuteronomy, I'm going to send a prophet who's going to speak my words. Second Samuel, all throughout the Psalms, Jeremiah, I'm going to make a people that's not my people, my people. Michael, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and then Jesus gets on the scene and is like, I've come. And you got some people who are ignorant. That's why Jesus all the time is like, you err because you don't know the scriptures. Moses saw my day and was glad. Abraham saw me. Before Abraham was, I am God. Jesus was the embodiment of God's sovereignty. The humility of Jesus Christ. The book of Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus Christ, although equal with God, did not consider something equal, equality with God, something he wasn't willing to let go. And to perform salvation and redemption laid it down and became the God-man, almost like a slave, the suffering servant we see in Isaiah. And then within that humility, God met him there. God the Father says that he put all things under his feet. Jesus Christ was the embodiment of true humility to God. And last but not least, Jesus Christ was the embodiment of a life of integrity. We know in the same way that the guys came to Daniel and they were like, you know what? The kingdom put him over everything. We're going to find something wrong with him. They tried to find something wrong with him with the common law, couldn't do it. So we're going to find something wrong with him in regards to his law, the law of his God. Still, still couldn't do it. Same thing happened to Jesus. He went before Pilate. Pilate was like, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. Why are y'all bent out of shape? How unfortunate that so many times... Christians, on the other hand, don't fit that mold. There's a discrepancy. I will share Christ, but I ain't living the right way. 
I will go down to that church down there. We know Christians ain't nothing but a bunch of what? Hypocrites. Why is that true? Embrace the call. Stand for something. Better yet, stand for the truth in Jesus Christ. So that's just about all of my time, but may I encourage you. When we look at the life of Daniel, who was a real man, who had real problems, who had real passions, Daniel was so convinced that God was running that thing. So convinced that if he could get low and lift God high, so convinced that if he would live a life of integrity, that he was going to be all right. That God was going to use him, and God did. In the same way that Jesus was the fulfillment and the embodiment of all these things, Jesus Christ is calling you right now. What are you going to do when the music plays, when the band plays? What are you going to do when it's hard? Are you going to be toothpaste that gets squirted out? It's going to be something... There's going to be a bunch of water up in there. I mean, you just charged me $3 for a thing of toothpaste and it's water? What are you going to do? And God is, is calling us. God has called us. For my name's sake, for the sake of the gospel, lead a life of integrity. And the last thing I want to point out is that he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, I want you to do these things. Good luck. Jesus said before he went away, he said, stay in the city until power from on high is given. God gives us the ability to lead a life of integrity and humility and to be in awe of his sovereignty for his namesake. People need Jesus Christ and they ain't going to give a rip about what you got to say if you're not living that thing. So let me pray over us and I just pray that you would not leave, walk out that door today you say, oh, Daniel, that's a, good, that's a good story. Embrace the call. Stand for something. Better yet, stand for truth. Live a life of integrity. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the fact that we can look at your word, Lord, and just marvel at what you've done. And Lord, and that you don't leave it there, that we can marvel at what you desire to do in our life, Lord. If we just get low, we realize it's not about us. Lord, if we get low and we realize that you are running this thing, Lord, if we just get low and realize that if we just honor you with our life, Lord, you can just show up and show out and do all kinds of stuff for your name's sake. People need to know you, God. We recognize that. And we are grateful that you call us to be ambassadors, that we can take your truth, take your word, Lord, and present it to people, the good news, Lord, and that they will come to know you, the one and only true living most high God and that you would change their life as well. We thank you for what you did in the story of Daniel. And we just ask you, Lord, to reveal yourself true to us as well. Lord, I pray over every person in this room, specifically the young people and the men, Lord, that you would give them the ability and the strength that they would recognize your presence to lead a life of integrity for your name's sake, for your glory. And Lord, we're thankful that it's also for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.